0: This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network.
1: And welcome to another episode of Queen City Nerves News Hounds Podcast. I am Ryan Pitkin as always, and today I have a special guest. Haven't talked to in quite some time, but always keeping up with him. We have Brad Panovich, celebrated meteorologist out of WCNC.
0: Yep. Uh what's going on man? Not much. It's been a wild summer. I mean, yeah. you know, locally it's been pretty quiet, but nationally and globally the weather's been it's been nuts. It so. has been <laughs> and
1: it's starting to really feel like a starting
0: to feel uh like dire situations <laughs> when you look yeah. at the news. I um, mean, it's it is scary because mm. you have, you know, I mean, I think a lot of folks have always thought, yeah. you know, climate change and global warming is this thing off in the distant future? Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's an event here or there, but the thing that really sticks out this summer is you've had a culmination mm-hmm. of events and very visual events like right. the Canadian wildfires mm-hmm. and um, the heat waves, which in parts of the country where it's normally hot, mm-hmm. even for them, it's like off the charts hot. Right. Um, and it's just it's just all coming at the same time, the flash flooding, it's right. just- Right,
1: seeing that in Vermont where yeah. it's like folks who don't think of Dealing. It's one of those things where it's starting to hit home
0: that this is not going to be escapable for anyone. Yeah, and I, and I hate it because, you know, it's it, sometimes it's a complex topic to talk about, and it seems like this, you know, what can I do thing, but, you know, sometimes these events are what really puts it in the forefront, and people actually start paying attention, even if right. it's like just asking your first question for people who haven't been engaged in the topic. They say, you know, why or how is this happening? That's right. just the beginning, and it's mm-hmm. great to see that, but it's coming at a cost. Right. I was having this conversation with my parents at brunch last
1: weekend about how sad it is that like they were saying, you know, well, Al Gore is being proven right from 20, 30 years ago. And I was like, but the problem here is that even to some people, he's still not proven right. Even as it's happening to us and physically felt, he's still being questioned because it's become such a culture war issue.
0: Yeah. And and that's frustrating as a scientist, because Mm -hmm. for me, you know, I, I try to separate the policy and the politics from the science, right. and it's really hard to do that because people, if I just, you know, and you know, you follow me on social media, mm-hmm. I'll just post like today was, you know, the the seventh hottest day or whatever, Charles, mm-hmm. and without even mentioning climate or the reason why it was, just, you get yeah. people that just get triggered. <laughs> right. And they no, start just, responding, and it's like, well, it's just... I'm just talking about the temperature today. We can get into why, but the fact that people automatically jump to something tells me they're not focused on the actual data anymore. I thought a funny uh, uh,
1: example of the trolling that you have to face on a regular basis actually just happened like an hour ago (laughs) where someone posted a picture of a smoke plume in Athens, Georgia. (laughs) And they said, this is a tornado that my son had, and no disrespect to her, I don't think she ended up being disrespectful in this thread, but everybody started jumping in, where she said, this is a tornado that just struck and took out my son's power in Athens, Georgia. And he said, well, you know, I hope he'll get his power turned on, but that's actually a smoke plume. Yeah. And then all these dudes start jumping in, and they're like, were you there? Were you there, Brad? Were you, did you not, like... Unless you're Dorothy in the yeah. in the Wizard of Oz, then you don't know whether it's a tornado or not, and you're just like, I don't know. I, I saw a picture of a
0: smoke plume. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if I went back and looked at the radar data, and mm-hmm. it was straight line winds, but just the picture alone, that's mm-hmm. that's not a tornado. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's it's a thing where people start reacting emotionally mm-hmm. and with their heart, and not with their mind anymore. And Absolutely. that's a frustrating thing because, to me, I, I can look at just the data, and, and I will say there's encouraging signs, right? Like, I get asked more for public speaking events on climate change now than I ever have mm. in probably my 20 years here, and they're from groups that you normally wouldn't right. associate with, you know, wanting to speak about climate change. A lot of faith-based groups mm. are fascinated with climate change, and like, how does the church play a role in this? So. Probably in the fascinated last fascinated
1: with the end times is well, what they want to know when <laughs> they know
0: something is happening and right. so there's a big interest and it's it's great because they want to talk to someone like me who's not politically affiliated mm-hmm. it's like I'm just going to tell you here's the data um, and so that's what I look at and to me it's like it's it's hard to argue against because the numbers are the numbers mm-hmm. they're not there's there's no bias in them I know people think there is but there isn't it's just it is what it is and and in my career looking at these numbers. It's hard to escape like the trends. Like me, everyone knows I'm a big snow lover. Mm-hmm. And this was our first winter in Charlotte in 146 oh, right. years of record keeping with zero snow. And that's a pretty stunning record because you know, we don't get a ton of snow here, but every year we've at least had a trace like some right. sleet or some ice or something. And to be the first year in our history to mm-hmm. not have snow is kind of it's kind of shocking. And now we'll probably get snow next year, but the trend in snow. If you grew up in the '70s or '80s or even '90s here in, in the Queen City, right. you you remember snow, and you probably think, "Well, used to snow all the time." It did, right? Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, and that's like that's an easy thing for people to look at because they remember snow days and people you know, actually having snowmen in Charlotte. You know, those days aren't probably gone for good, but they're becoming sparse. Sparse. And this mm-hmm. year was. I would if I would I knew we were gonna have a year like this. If you'd have told me it was gonna be this year, I'd be like, you know, it'd probably mm-hmm. be five or six years down the road. Wow! But to have the first one is is pretty stunning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And let's talk a little bit about
1: some of these uh, more recent heat waves yeah. around the country. We've seen some records broken. I know Phoenix is hitting like triple digits twenty days in a row, something like that. Yeah. Um, where to? So we're recording this on Friday, yeah. uh, July twenty first, yeah. um, and we're going to release it on Monday. So if any cataclysmic <laughs> weather events hit Charlotte in the next two days, and yeah, yeah I should we'll knock on wood right, <laughs> right we'll, we'll knock on. We'll, we'll do a follow up uh, article yeah. at Queensidennerve but it won't be covered in this podcast. My apologies, but um, you know the weather here this week kind of feels summery. But w- yeah. what's the context? Have, are we facing the same sort of situations that some other folks in the western Part of the country, yeah.
0: It's interesting. In Charlotte, we've been really lucky. Mm -hmm. We've been one of the few locations in the country where we've actually had almost what I would call a normal summer. We had a really cool June. Um, It was one of our coolest Junes since like 2013. And May was cool as well. Um, But the rest of the country was baking Mm -hmm. and that whole time we were cool, the heat was going up into Canada, Mm -hmm. drying them out, baking those forests and creating the the tinderbox that became those Canadian wildfires. But when July hit, it was like a switch went off here. We started seeing. So now July is about 1.8 degrees above average. And even though this weekend, you know, as we're going into it, is going to be pretty mild, next week the heat that's out west is slowly starting to shift our way Mm -hmm. and we're going to see an extended period of mid and upper 90s. So, you know, it's been a weird year in Charlotte. Like I said, the summer hasn't been crazy hot, but I look back to the winter. The winter was so warm. January and February and March were off the charts. In fact, even with our cool start to summer, we're going to have a top five hottest year on record here in Charlotte, and it was all because of the warmth in the winter. You know, sometimes we don't notice it as much because that's the cold time of the year. But you know, there was times you were running your AC. We had the earliest start to pollen season on record. Mm-hmm. I mowed my grass in January. Right. This year. Yeah, I Stuff hate it. That, that you don't normally do. Um, and so when summer hits, you know, the, the temperature, yeah, it's hot. People expect it to be hot, but the heat in the spring and the, in the in the winter was really what set the stage for a lot of what we're seeing right now. Right. And I listened to uh one of my news podcasts I listen to regularly It was
1: either probably Slate or New York Times uh last week and it was t- it was someone sort of raising the alarm the whole topic was about heat and yeah you know a lot of the stuff we see about climate change or natural disaster uh quote unquote is uh, hurricanes and tornadoes yeah. and floods things that you can spot the damage of and yeah. they were saying that you know. Um, this is, this is one of those more silent killers, but yeah. it's just as dangerous. And the reason people need to, you know, think about heat beyond just the fact of like, oh, maybe I'll stay inside, but it's just such a dangerous thing. And I hadn't realized, and I don't expect you to necessarily be a, a medical doctor here, yeah. expert for me, but something that he had said was that, you know, heat stroke is sort of, ir, uh, it's, it's incurable sort of thing. Yeah. You know, the damage that your body faces is almost like, melting might be a sensationalist word but like your organs are deteriorating <laughs> yeah and that's what you're what's causing you problems um, I don't really have a question for that but it freaked me out <laughs> well I,
0: I, I always tell people yeah. heat is I think one of those things we don't we don't take seriously enough because mm-hmm. heat from a weather standpoint is the number one killer more than tornadoes floods lightning hurricanes mm-hmm. heat is one of those things that's like you said it's kind of a silent killer the thing is that, you know biologically our bodies are 98.6 degrees inside we know if you have a fever, you know, it's not good. When it, when we see the air temperature or the heat index get above that 98.6, our bodies just aren't designed to cool themselves. What do we do? We sweat, right? Well, when it's super muggy like it is here in Charlotte, the sweating doesn't work because it doesn't evaporate. So right. what's your body do? It sweats more. So it, it, we just know, you know, biologically, we're better at warming ourselves mm-hmm. than we are at cooling ourselves. We oh, need okay. mechanical help, a fan, an air conditioner, water. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just more difficult to cool our bodies. Crazy stat that I saw today that kind of blew my mind, because I was looking at the Phoenix numbers, and I have family out there, because, you know, if Phoenix is hot, right, we get get it, right? But this string of Mm 110-plus for them is an all-time record, and their heat deaths have really accelerated in the last 10 years. And the stat that blew me away, I would expect heat stroke, you know, those type of illnesses. They had seven people die, Ryan, Mm. of burns from pavement, Wow. Okay. Imagine that. You. Yeah. Seven people died in Phoenix this year from burns suffered by touching hot pavement. That, yeah, we and were prob- out there. probably homeless mm-hmm. folks who were sleeping and ended up se- getting such severe burns from 180 degrees okay. Celsius right. pavement temperature and dying. That that blows my mind that that can even happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were out working on my car and my. Uh, sometimes co-host Justin's car in front of my house the other day and he went down on the pavement and just got right back up. He's like, well, no, I'm going to have to find a new way to approach this. Um, but yeah, I mean, so in Phoenix they were taught, they've, uh, they've launched a, like a heat, uh, I don't know, heat curbing sort of agency almost within their local government. Yeah. Um, what are some things uh, without, you know, it doesn't doesn't have to be political but yeah. policy wise that city local governments and things can do in terms of i don't know anything from tree canopy to they are already sort of working on more clean energy routes but yeah. what are some things that you know of that are on an infrastructure
0: level that can be done. You know, there's two ways that we have to battle this, and I think we've come to grips with this, that even the mitigation factors, right. like let's, say, let's say we cut greenhouse emissions to zero today. Well, guess what? The warming isn't just going to stop. Mm-hmm. It's going to go on for decades because CO2 has a long staying power in our atmosphere. So you're going to have to couple mitigation with adaptation mm-hmm. policy. And so what a lot of cities have done is we know it's going to be hot. Um, we've got to create either cooling centers Or, like you said, tree canopies, we've got to paint roofs white instead of black. I mean, urban heat islands are a big issue in cities because we have all this concrete and steel, which sucks up all this heat during the day. And at night, it releases it really slowly. And so at night, the cities stay 10, 15 degrees warmer than the surrounding countryside. So one thing you can do is increase your green space, which is great. But also, we have a lot of flat-top roofs in urban centers and they're usually black or tar roofs, mm-hmm. if you can make them white, which would uh, you know, basically bounce the solar energy back up and not retain it, uh, you could help keep the city cooler. But the big thing is, we've gotta really help the, the underprivileged people, the people that don't have air conditioning, that don't have shelter, those are the folks that are most susceptible. You know, you, I, I see a lot of people who you know are doing okay, and like their their you know air conditioning goes out for two days, and it's like mm-hmm. the end of the world. Right. Imagine going a whole summer yeah. with a no air conditioning mm-hmm. uh, in a place like Phoenix, which seems unfathomable, but it happens. Right. And so we've got to figure out ways that we can get people cool and um, you yeah, know the grid it, is not in great shape. <laughs> no, and you know, we're lucky. We're so spoiled in the Carolinas. I don't mm-hmm. know if people realize. Um, we have a really... We're one of the few parts of the country where our grid is somewhat stable, but mm-hmm. out west, Texas, big stre- stretches of the Midwest, you're right, the grid and the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, if we get a, a power outage in one of these heat waves, the death toll would be off the charts yeah. because most of these cities are not in, um, habitable in the summer without air conditioning. Phoenix certainly is one of those cities right. where you know, all the people that move there, their transplants from the Midwest or the Northeast... They couldn't be there if it wasn't for air conditioning. Las Vegas. I mean, these cities, um, without air conditioning and shelter, if we had a major power outage there, it would be devastating. They shouldn't be there in the first place. There's no water. Yeah. Um, That's a
1: whole other I was about to say, we could do a whole other podcast on that. Yeah. Um, You had mentioned sort of in passing during our last talk five years ago which I will say, I was noticing today, reading back, was like one month before that paper shut down. Yeah. So I'm not blaming you per (laughs) se. I'm just saying that now that I have an ownership stake in this one, I'm hoping to make it past August with Queen City Nerd. (laughs) But you had mentioned how we were actually getting a little bit lucky five years ago because we were supposed to be in what was called a solar maximum. We didn't go too deep into it. No. Are we still in that phase and you had said it was sort of one of the lowest solar maximums we had seen yeah. for some lucky reason.
0: Yeah, we're we, you know, there's solar cycles like 11-year cycle where okay. the sun is more active and less active and we were in what it would have been a solar maximum but it was a like like I said the lowest mm-hmm. solar maximum that we had seen and you know the sun is swinging back the other way but overall the solar energy coming in is is not very high. It's mm-hmm. still relatively low. But we've seen more action from the sun recently. And you probably have seen some of the you know social media posts about seeing the northern lights in sections mm-hmm. of the country that aren't used to it. That's really probably the biggest calling card. But the other thing is, in our modern infrastructure, these solar storms, um, if they occur, they really impact all the technology that we use: mm-hmm. satellite technology, GPS, cell phones, the power grid. Mm-hmm. Um, if we get a major solar storm, which would be a geomagnetic storm like a G5, you know that could take out a whole bunch of the grid. Um, and so that's something that you know in, in modern times, I don't know if we're really prepared for. That's actually right. kind of a nightmare scenario for the government and for a lot of emergency managers because we're so reliant on technology now. And that's the type of thing that would take out that technology, mm-hmm. not just for days, but for maybe weeks. All right. So we're, we're kind Great. of going into it. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to Great see news. that in the summer. Like I said, right. you know, there's a lot of nightmare scenarios with these heat waves and power outages because we just we rely so heavily on cooling mm-hmm. um, to keep us safe. And, and you know, and I know a lot of folks in states and cities that are emergency managers definitely fret like one of these heat waves in Texas or you know Phoenix or even the Midwest, you know, where the power goes out and you have millions of people now without air conditioning, you know, 110, 115 right. degree temperature, and they know they just there's nowhere for those People to go right, and another thing that
1: you had already mentioned a little bit: um, some of these fires that have been happening is another is another example of sort of the inescapability of this. Where you might have thought, even only as much as or as little as three years, three or four years ago, where it's like, "Oh, right, well, I don't live in California or (laughs) a forested area or Canada or whatever, so I don't have to necessarily worry about forest fires." But it's the the smoke that comes off of that, and and. this has been in the news cycle not only countrywide, but it's happened in Charlotte just within recent days. Uh, what does that really do when you come out and you notice the smoke, you can't yeah. see the skyline or you can I mean, I was in a situation recently on vacation in Connecticut on the Long Island Sound, we we're sitting on the beach and when we got there we could see all the boats yeah. and then it rolled in and we oh. couldn't, but we could feel it in our eyes. Yeah. We couldn't see but a hundred feet in front of us to the to the beach. And then it rolled out, and we could see again. But, I mean, what is that doing when you can feel it in your eyes, and what is it doing to your lungs
0: and yeah. whatever? Yeah. Yeah, the smoke is, is just – it's a double whammy in many cases. Obviously, if you see it or smell it or feel it, it's having an impact because that, that – Um, those particulate matter, the 2.5 microns, we call it, the stuff that, you know, normally a mask would filter out. They're actually, it's pretty large from a, you know, from a particle standpoint, but that gets into your lungs and just stops you from absorbing oxygen. So, you know, for people with respiratory issues, it could trigger asthma attacks or cause, you know, you know, respiratory issues or even, you know, death. Um, The other thing that it does, especially here, which is interesting is the smoke is, some of it's at the surface, but a lot of it's in the mid-levels of the atmosphere. And because they're actual particles of soot, the sun will heat those particles up and create a warm layer aloft, which creates an inversion, which then traps more pollutants and ozone below it. And it actually so it actually amplifies the poor air quality when we uh-huh. see this. Um, and so when you get those days, not only do you get the smoke, but you get high ozone level, which creates, you know, issues for your for respiratory issues as well. And so the middle of the day, you know, it's again exercise, you got all these people working outside causes all kinds of issues for people being, uh, being outside and can cause permanent lung damage to people mm-hmm. who spend extended period of time out in that. And you know we're not done with it, Ryan. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. two or three waves of it this summer. Those fires in Canada aren't going out until winter. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, it's hard for people to like wrap their minds around it. The areas that are burning in Canada, the combined acreage is like the size of Kentucky. Mm. And it's in boreal, uh, boreal forests that are in the northern sections of Canada where nobody lives. So it's not feasible or even economical to even try to fight those. Mm. So what they do is they put all their resources in firefighting to protecting life, limb, and property, and they just let those burn. And so the only thing that will put them out will be the fall and then the winter when it gets cold and they get snow. Um, So I, I expect we'll see more waves when the wind shifts and the jet stream dips back down. We'll probably see more waves in August, maybe September. By October, it's pretty much winter in northern Right. Um, Canada. It should start to turn those fires, you know, back down to, to, to nothing. All right. As someone who uh, spends a lot of time. Pos-
1: you might be able to relate to the on this at least more than some of our other guests, but I spend way too much time on Twitter. Um, and we spoke a little bit about it up at the top, just yeah. talking about today's funny little thread. Do
0: you spend as much time now as you used to?
1: Uh, I still can't yeah. get off of it. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I thought, you know, maybe that would give me a reason just a couple of weeks ago when you started limiting views. Oh, and that I was was like, like, this won't last, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, how much of a role... I, I think about the fires, because yeah. we were just talking about it, and mean, it sort of reminded me... Uh, of like just conspiracy theorists today are crazy in the sense that they're just like oh and they present it like we're just asking questions like why did all of these fires start at once and it's like well there's a storm you know (laughs) the lightning came from a storm Um, or people just being like oh wow y'all are gonna let the government tell you that we're (laughs) getting smoke all the way from Canada and it's
0: like that's Pretty feasible. Yeah, I there, mean, it's silly because yeah. there's some conspiracy theories where I kind of you, you kind of understand. It's mm-hmm. like, but this one is like, why? It's like right. it's it's to me. <laughs> to it's, what I, end? Yeah, I can just look at the satellite imagery. I can see the lightning strikes. I can mm-hmm. see the fire. I mean, it, there's pretty good. It's not it's not hard. It's not mm-hmm. like it's hidden, right? right. And all this data is out there. And the other thing that's funny is like these fires really started back in late March, April, and May, the mm-hmm. first ones. Now, they accelerated in June, but it's like nobody paid attention to it until the smoke got here. Right. And then um, they want to... Like, and then it's like, well, why didn't you talk about them when they started two months ago if mm-hmm. you thought that was some conspiracy? Mm-hmm. The fact that you're only talking about it when you're being impacted by the smoke is kind of the tell yeah, that like, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. It's like everybody wants a, <laughs> forgive my pun, a hot take. Yeah. So it's like in the moment, well, now it's affecting, it's in the news, I'm going to come up with some crazy wacko thing. But... Um, How does that make your job harder just in terms of – I know we talked a little bit earlier about social media and yeah. everyone having
1: access to you, so they're just going to say stuff. But the, the misinformation seems oh. way more annoying than the trolling.
0: Well, it, you know, it's – and let's be honest. I think I think it gets amplified more than – it's a small segment. Mm-hmm. But the problem is I spend time answering questions that are silly mm-hmm. about why did all the fires start at once. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they didn't. They, right. I mean, it's I can show you. And you just you, – you spend time, and, and there's some people that – generally don't know, and they see the misinformation. Mm-hmm. And so those are the people you want to help, like, hey, I need to you know, talk them off a cliff a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. no, this is really what happened. This is wildfire smoke. And believe it or not, we do get wildfire smoke from Russia, Siberia, from Mexico, from the Western US. It's happened before. Now, not to this scale, mm-hmm. but it's not like this is a new thing. It's, it's right. happened before. Um, I think the thing that, that I think is fascinating to me watching social media is it's really open people you know have lived in the same town or the same area their whole life they have a very narrow picture of the world and the globe social media has kind of opened their eyes to like guess what things happen in other parts of the world and they do impact us here right. and so sometimes i think for them that's it's a new thing mm-hmm. and so you got to explain like yeah things that do happen in other parts of the world do have an impact here and so it can be a great teaching experience but i just think it's it's unfortunate that misinformation gets spread so easily and so easily accepted. And I feel like we spend a majority of our time doing, you know, talking about the misinformation and not just focusing on yeah, like, that's the other sort stuff. Of, it seems just takes like up the, time, right?
1: <laughs> it seems like the the, um, the the reason for it sometimes. Yeah. Like that's why. they're, they're It's a de- deflection. Um, and just to clarify what I was saying earlier, so I don't sound like one of these people <laughs> answering one of these people, is what i was discussed what i meant when i said yeah it came from a single storm was one specific yeah. satellite imagery that people were spreading around where it's like these pictures are being taken once every hour or 30 yeah. minutes and then you saw them all pop up at once
0: that was a very small area
1: yeah but yeah like you said they've been coming around they've been developing throughout oh, the yeah. spring
0: the, the cool thing is the satellite imagery is so good now that you know you can see the hot spots you can actually mm-hmm. see the flames from space because especially at night um the imagery on like the GO 16 and GO 17 satellites um we have something called the global lightning map where it actually sees these flashes of lightning mm. from the satellite um so you can see the these hot spots yeah. even at night through clouds so you, you can see the ignition so you see the lightning strike and then a frame or two later, you'll see the flames right. in that area. So it's pretty easy to mm-hmm. to correlate what the cause was. It's, yeah, not, it's, it's not too hard. I did a
1: lot of reading about, um, I, I read like five or six books last year and to my own despair about <laughs> conspiracy theorists and how they work. And there's one about Flat Earth specifically where it was like, you know, uh, a big key to this is not to do the, the real research yourself. Yeah. A lot of people who say do your own research are the ones who are, that to them means... Ignore the
0: scientists yeah. and go on YouTube until you find the person who. who well, that's what I always like to tell people. It's like I I appreciate people who say ask questions, mm-hmm. but you should ask questions of everybody. The consp- mm-hmm. ask the conspiracy theorists, why right. are you doing this? You can very easily like, yeah. disprove flat yeah. Earth theory so, with a little but couple you got, experiments. You got to be an equal opportunity question asker. You right. can't just ask one side and ignore the other. Right. So I, I think that's the thing I always wonder. It's like nobody you know asks the motivation of some YouTuber or some. Post on social media. Yeah. They they take that verbatim, and then they ask all the questions of everyone else. It's like, well, why aren't you asking the questions of that person? Right. And then know, the what's answer, their motivation? They <laughs> answer
1: your answers with questions, and it's just a yeah. whole cycle.
0: I, I've learned at some point there's there's some people you can help. It's, I, I always like the three strikes you're out rule. Oh, is right. like I'll help. I'll give you like three questions or answers, and after I get to ask the third one, if it's not going anywhere, it's like it's not even worth my yeah. time. <laughs> so it's like move on. Right. <laughs> Where do you turn to stay in touch with the city around you? Broadcast news isn't what it used to be. and Commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch. If only there was one place you could get it all, when you want, wherever you want, on your schedule, there is the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: one just random um, glossary term that I have here, because yeah. there was a discussion, of course, on Twitter recently where uh, uh, National Weather Service discussed uh, the wet bulb temperature. Oh, yeah. 92 degrees. And that turned into a whole other war <laughs> argument, like it's going to do on Twitter. And that's not even what I'm trying to justify uh, or whatever. But because I was actually interested in going to look up what it actually did mean, yeah. so Tell me a little bit
0: about what wet bulb temperature means, because I have a feeling we're going to be hearing it more yeah. often, So, yeah, I love wet bulb temperature, yeah. by the way, because somebody who tries to make snow in my backyard, the wet bulb temperature is really cool. So, oh, nice. So, what the wet bulb... We're going to talk about that after. Yeah. Don't forget. Remind so, me. So, the bulb, the bulb, let's talk about the bulb part. So, you remember the old thermometers that had the, like, reservoir of mm. either mercury or red alcohol at the bottom, yes. that bulb section, and then it I would be... I slammed my sea.
1: brother's head into one during a fight oh. as a child, and my and mom broke? freaked
0: out. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. And you're like, hey, mercury poison. Oh, yes, she made <laughs> so, me feel like I killed him. So that bulb at the bottom is what makes the thermometer or the, the mercury go up or down in the tube, right? Mm-hmm. So the dry bulb temperature is when there's that, that's dry. It's mm-hmm. just the air. So what we would do to figure out like evaporation rates, you would take the, um, the bulb and wrap it in a piece of wet cloth. And then we we had this thing called a sling psychrometer. You'd fling it around in the air to evaporate the moisture off of the cloth that's on the bulb of the thermometer. Mm-hmm. And because you're evaporating the moisture, obviously the temperature would go down, right? And the point that it goes down to where it's completely dry, that's called the wet bulb temperature. Basically, how cool can you get the air through evaporation? Mm-hmm. And so the, the, what this means to everybody out there is the higher the wet bulb temperature, that means um, basically, there's a lot of moisture in the air and there's not much evaporation going on. So it's kind of like our version of the dew point. We mm-hmm. use that quite a bit as okay. well. And it's more accurate than the relative humidity because relative humidity, the thing people forget is the relative part. It's relative to the air temperature. So the relative humidity goes up and down every hour with the temperature. Mm-hmm. The dew point or the wet bulb temperature is kind of an all day thing. It's pretty consistent. It's like. This is the humidity for the whole day instead of just for one hour or for the morning or the afternoon. So the wet bulb temperature is really crucial to safety for for heat because a 92 wet bulb would be crazy. Anything in the 80s or even the 70s, uh, that's something for like football practice or kids outside. You wouldn't want them out there because that's where your body just cannot cool itself through sweating. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's really, really important. So for me, for snowmaking, we look for wet bulb temperatures below 32 degrees because I can actually make snow when the air temperature's mm. above freezing if I can cool it down through evaporation below freezing. Right. So if you've ever been on a patio with those misters, uh-huh. right? Okay, everyone thinks the like water- Carolyn's has them. Yeah, the or you, yeah mm. they don't work so well here in the Carolinas right, because right. it's so muggy here. They work great in the desert Southwest. The whole goal of those misters isn't to get you wet, it's to evaporate that mist, which then lowers the air temperature, right? Mm. So you're actually using evaporative cooling to cool the air. Um, you know, some states have what call our swamp coolers. It's the same premise: you blow air across water, evaporate it, and it should cool the air down. All our nuclear facilities have giant cooling towers. What are those things? They spray the water down those big, uh, big barrel-looking, you know, smokestacks. The air cools them, and they can recycle the water because it gets Mm. cool again. So evaporation is a great tool. Our body uses it to sweat and cool us, but you can use it in nature as well, and it can give you a number, Mm -hmm. a temperature that will tell you how much evaporation is actually occurring. Right. That's awesome. Uh, (laughs) See, I knew I wanted to ask you about that. (laughs) Well, it
1: makes sense. I sort of wanted to turn around. Uh, I, I usually sort of go chronologically and have you introduce how you got into this field, but oh. I wanted to jump right into the heat waves and the yeah. news cycle. No. So I'll go backwards this time. I do <laughs> want to talk a little bit about, it totally makes sense that you still make snow to this day, yeah. um, because <laughs> uh, you had told me you started this This passion sort of came six years old. Yeah. Six years old in Ohio, Yeah. lizard of 78. Yeah. Tell me how much you
0: remember about that. I I remember a specific moment. It's like this light bulb moment for me being a meteorologist. I was six, and um, and I I say the blizzard of '78. We had a lot of blizzards in the Mm -hmm. late '70s, early '80s when I grew up in Ohio. And we lived in one of those split-level homes where, you know, like the driveway went down and your garage was kind of in your basement. Same with Connecticut where I grew up. And so what would happen is we would get the wind would blow and it would drift over the entire driveway because it was like underground a little bit. Mm -hmm. And our front door was close to our driveway. So this blizzard, it was... I think the actual snowfall really wasn't as heavy as it was for the previous storm, but the wind was you know, horrendous. You know, blizzards are defined by their wind. 35-mile-an-hour mm. winds are higher for three hours or what defines a blizzard. And so this huge drift formed in our front door, and we couldn't open our front door because we had, you know, the, the door opened in, but our, our um, glass door, like our screen mm, door, opened right. out. Yeah, so you just and, see the level. Yeah, so we couldn't push it open. My dad had to climb out the window and Mm. dig out the front door so we can get out. And I remember going out and seeing these six-foot snowdrifts and just knowing I wanted to know how, what, and why that happened. I was just utterly fascinated with Mm -hmm. that snow. And it was really ever since then, I would just, every time we had bad weather, jump outside, want to see it. I did everything I tell people not to do now. (laughs) Go outside, stare at a thunderstorm, look at the lightning every science uh, report, uh, you know, science fair, project, book report, anything I did in school, I always tried to pick weather. Mm. Even so much that I took a political science uh, course in college and we had to do a term paper. <laughs> My term paper was, it was 25 pages. I still remember it was such a long term paper. <laughs> I, I went back and looked how weather affected presidential election turnout across the country. Oh, wow. And um, it was really fascinating because it was kind of cool to say like how weather impacts certain parties yeah, or certain definitely. parts of the country based on, on turnout. And so I, it was just something I loved. So I always wanted to be a meteorologist, but I never wanted to be on TV. Mm-hmm. I just didn't because right. I, when I grew up, most of the people that did TV weather weren't meteorologists, right. they weren't scientists. They were usually like uh, the, the, the news anchor who wasn't really good at reading the news and they said, hey, go over and do right. the weather. Yeah. And they usually found somebody had more of a personality or something because back then when I grew up, I mean, I thought weather was fascinating, but most people weather was kind of like a throwaway thing in the newscast. Or brick from Anchorman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so I I went to school, got my degree in atmospheric science and figured I'd go work for NOAA, go work for the National Weather Service, maybe be a professor, whatever. And then I got talked into an internship at a TV station. And I said, I don't wanna do that, but I did it begrudgingly. And when I walked into this TV station in Columbus, Ohio, they had their own Doppler radar, they had Silicon graphics machines. And I was like, wow, I love technology and I was really good with computers. So I really kind of fell in love with the technology part of TV and started building graphics and doing these 3D animations. And um, one day the news director came into the chief meteorologist who I was interning on her and said, Hey, who's building all these graphics? And he was very honest, like our intern, Brad is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, she's like, you want a job? And I said, sure, doing what? We want you to be a weather producer. We want you to build graphics, um, do the forecast, mm-hmm. you know, do everything, but be in front of the camera. And she said, I'll pay a minimum wage. And I was still at school at the time. So I'm like, Sure. So I did it and the whole process of doing that kind of taught me what like what the TV business was like and I started realizing that you know weather was pretty big in TV. It was when severe weather this is right when twister came out and oh, um, when, when Doppler radar was becoming like at, at every TV station. So stations started hiring real meteorologists because mm-hmm. it actually required that to do severe weather coverage and I ended up staying there for about six months after uh, graduating, working at Dick's Sporting Goods and there, <laughs> Right. and I got a job offer to go be the morning meteorologist in Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. and just kind of, that was my first step, and it just kind of took off from right. there, you know.
1: And before Charlotte, you were in New Orleans. Yes. Um, that You told me, this is another one of the things where I go back and read our, our previous interview, and I was like, oh, man, I want to hear more about that. Oh. Why didn't I ask him? Because yeah. you just mentioned in passing that you had flown through Fort Hort. Four hurricanes. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm not like super scared <laughs> of weather. I've always had a bucket list to see a tornado in person. and I've uh, Which I've, I recommend I, everybody yeah. go ch-
0: storm chasing once my, in my
1: life. My dad is one of those big stand on the porch during a thunderstorm yeah. people. And I've, I've enjoyed it my whole life as well. I mean, not my whole life. He'll tell you I was terrified when I was a kid of thunderstorms. I've yeah. grown to love them. But I will just say that flying oh. into weather just sounds awful. Yeah. As much as I'm not really like... So weather scared these days. I am a little iffy about flying into yeah. hurricanes. What was that
0: experience like, and why? So I, it was kind of. I, mean, I guess I know the why, but yeah. I'm, first of all, I just wanted to do it, yeah. and it was interesting. Now it's funny. Like there's so many, there's like a wait list for media people to get on the hurricane hunters. It's like because it's a big thing. And mm-hmm. it, but back then in, in New Orleans, it was easy to go over to Keesler Air Force Base, which is where they flew out of over on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I would just call like the the PIO over there and be like, "Hey, I want to jump on a flight." And it was pretty much that day I could call over and like, hey, you can go out on this afternoon's flight. And so the first one I flew into was Hurricane Floyd, believe it or not, which people oh, yeah. in the Carolinas know. That, yeah. But it was off the coast of uh, Florida at the time. And I, I just called and I would go over there and we'd bring either camera um, and just shoot video on board. And back then you couldn't broadcast live at all from the aircraft. You could only do two-way radio. You could do like a radio interview, but you couldn't call anybody or send anything back. So you had to wait till you landed. But... Flying into Floyd was like the first one, and it was like blew my mind because it was first of all, it's a twelve-hour mission mm-hmm. on a C on a modified C-130. They call it a W-130 because it's a weather reconnaissance um, aircraft. Um, but they're from the Korea Vietnam War era with modern avionics in there. But and you're in the, in the cargo hold, you still see all the pulleys and everything. <laughs> control, right. and it's so loud. You have earplugs in and headsets on, mm-hmm. and it's still deafening. But the whole flight out there, it's just boring because right. you're you got to fly out there, and it's just um, it's just boring. You're sitting on like these nylon straps in the cargo hold. There's not like luxurious seats. Mm-hmm. A lot of the crew members have like hammocks set up back there, and they sleep oh, as yeah. they go out to the to the storm. While you're flying out there every once in a while, you drop some instrumentation out called a drop song that takes uh, at measurements. And then the plane's recording weather information the whole time. But once you get to the storm, that's where it gets wild. Mm-hmm. It's it's super bumpy. I mean, it, I'm not gonna lie, it's mm. crazy. The hard part is there's no windows, oh, right? Yeah. Except for one by the, the door and then in the cockpit. So I didn't realize they had a whole package of Dramamine, like mm. right, right in the door, there's all these little two packs right. and everybody's got them because you just can't see the horizon. Even in the backyard, the guys that are on the flights all the time, they get motion sickness. Mm. Um, and so right away I popped one of those, but it was so bumpy. It was like yeah. up and down, up and down. And the coolest thing was, is like as bumpy as it is, you get to the eye, you know immediately because it's like dead calm. You, just chill. you, you go yeah. from like being on like a roller coaster to like just cruising mm-hmm. flat. And then I, I got to go up to the cockpit and look out the window and it was the most amazing thing, Ryan. It was like... The only way I could describe it, it's like a Roman Colosseum of clouds. Like Mm. you see down to the water and you see the clouds go up and you see blue sky above your head. It is like, it is. So the clouds aren't at a certain level, they're down to the ground. It it looks like they're down to the water. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, but it's just, you see like a wall of clouds, the eye wall, and you can see it kind of moving a little bit even in real time. It almost looks like it's like optical illusion, but you can kind of see it moving. The other crazy thing is looking down in the water, you can see giant white caps. You know mm-hmm. the waves down there are nuts, but it is like, it's all inspiring It's like the first time I saw a tornado, it's the same thing. You're like, if you're not a spiritual person, you go see one, see that, you yeah. like realize how insignificant you right. are Absolutely. and how, how awesome the power is mm-hmm. of Mother Nature. So um, yeah, flew into four of them and just... Enjoyed it. A couple of training flights, and then I flew into a couple after I got here at Charlotte. We went on two training flights here, and um, it, it's a great experience. But it is not fun because mm. you spend so much time sitting in an uncomfortable seat yeah. with bumps up and down. And the other crazy thing is they make you sign a waiver, obviously for you know for safety reasons. But the other waiver is they don't guarantee you'll fly back to the location you came from. Mm. So in, in case there's like a fuel issue, uh, you know one of the, the planes' engines go out. You could land in Saint Croix. We'll you give could you a land. Oh, in, yeah. not if you. Yeah, Croix. I'm like, well, let's land there. You can right. land in Tampa. They have all these destinations where they can land, and then you have to get a commercial flight wow. back. And mm-hmm. so the station's got to sign off that hey, we're going to fly you back commercial. Um, but for me, I was like, let's land in uh, Saint Croix. That would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. As long as the hurricane's not <laughs> yeah. coming our way. Yeah, that
1: would be great. Um, all right. Well, just to sort of wrap up, yep. five years ago, you told me. You said, yeah, things are looking dire, but hope is not lost. Yeah. That was your quote. Is hope lost five years from now? You still feel optimistic
0: about sort of our climate situation? I do. And I think that's the thing. One thing I don't like about climate change discussion is Mm -hmm. sometimes doom and gloom is like too much. Right. Um, I mean, there's things to be worried about. Don't don't get me wrong. But the thing is, there's still time to do stuff about it, right? Mm -hmm. It, it is reversible. You know, it, we've seen it in our climate's past when nature did this. Right? It wasn't man doing it. That things can recover. The problem is we're 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 basically running out of time for this to be a quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're not going to do something to mitigate it, we got to start doing adaptation. We've mm-hmm. got We've got to start figuring out because whether you like it or not. These things are happening, and things are flooding more. It's getting hotter. We're seeing more extreme weather. So preparing, you know, humanity, infrastructure, your house, um, the way we live life, you've got to prepare now because it, it's got to change. But I am, I am still optimistic because I am slowly but surely seeing people realize, hey, we've got to do something. And it, a lot of it comes to like people's mortality. They start realizing, okay, maybe I can't. This is not going to impact my life, but my kids mm-hmm. and my grandkids. You know this, right. and then it affects people's livelihoods. Um, one what's of the, the point that people won't. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, cut I was going to say one of the things that I think is fascinating is people who you know who doubt that something's going on. I, I want you to go talk to a farmer, mm-hmm. or go talk. One of the groups I talk to quite a bit in Charlotte. I'm a big golfer. The agronomy guys that do all the golf courses. Mm-hmm. I talk to their group, ask them what's going on. Mm-hmm. They cannot grow the same grass. They can't fertilize the same. Right. They they will all tell you to your face, like they may not know or understand completely why, they know something's happening because they can't grow the crops or grass or do the things they used to do. And to them, it's like, it doesn't really matter what's causing it. It's like, we need to do something about it because it's affecting my bottom line. I think a big sign of that is the
1: insurance companies who no longer sell flood insurance or or insurance on your
0: home is it in general if you're living on the coast of Florida or California well, Florida, or even in this whole state. I saw a crazy stat and I think NBC News did it last night was in Florida, no insurance company has made a profit since 2016 in the state of Florida. Right. And they're They've getting out. Lo- and and yeah, yeah, and like by the boatloads, there's mm-hmm. like 30 some less insurers now because the losses are so great, mm-hmm. they can't afford to insure people. And so to make sure there are other clients in other parts of the country, can get covered, they've had to pull out. And right. so, now you're getting state-subsidized insurance. insurance. So, yeah. so the thing is, people realize, you know, you're paying for this stuff, whether you realize it or not. Absolutely. I mean, look at Highway 12 out of the Outer Banks. How many mm-hmm. times are we going to fix that? Mm-hmm. And, um, we're paying One more, because I'm going in August. <laughs> yeah. Well, the bridge should help. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the, I'm getting kind of tired of always moving the sand dunes. Let's build yeah. something a little more sturdy out there. But... You know that that's the things that that people can see and feel and that we end up paying for it either way so folks that don't want to spend money to mitigate the thing is we're still paying for this stuff even if we're not going to pay for it up front mm-hmm. it's probably a lot cheaper to do it up front and that's the big selling point i think for a lot of policy is like hey yeah it's going to cost money to do these things now but it would cost us a whole lot more down mm-hmm. the road to have to react to that and so so with
1: this coming uh, out on monday you said we're getting ready for a hot week yeah as of now Uh, what 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 are your tips to wrap this thing full circle from the heat waves we talked about at the very beginning uh what do we how do we deal with this uh heat coming from the
0: west for the rest of this week and and probably longer the big thing is i I think people just got to be careful it's Mm -hmm. the the worst thing you can say is this is just normal heat or normal summer Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's how people get into trouble that's how people get heat stroke and end up having issues. Watch out for your, 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 your neighbors. Your, your, the very old, the very young are always susceptible and pets. I mean, our pets just, they're not built for this kind of heat sometimes. Right. Uh, and the thing is you can still exercise and go outside. It was just like with the smoke. You know, a lot of people are like, should I stay inside? Mm-hmm. No, you don't have to stay inside, but I would not be exercising in the middle of the day or spending an extended period of time outside. It's just take it easy. You know, mm-hmm. listen to your body. Your body will tell you, hey, you need to slow it down. Um, but CrossFit people exercising outside are annoying anyway. Yeah. 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 Stay inside and like, you know, take a break. I mean, it it sounds like common sense, but sometimes you got to repeat these things to people like, Hey, just take it easy. Mm -hmm. And remember, you know, it's okay to have the fan on, um, use the air conditioning, spend some time inside and drink that water. We probably, none of us drink enough water to, Mm -hmm. to help us, you know, things about dehydration and heat stroke is you don't, by the time you notice it, It's too late. So you almost got to be proactive and make sure you're you're taking that water and taking those breaks ahead of time. I'm guilty of that too. I like running in the middle of the day, and sometimes when it's like this, I realize you know what? Probably not a good day. Maybe I'll walk or I'll wait to the evening or do something inside because um, your body just can't handle this heat. We're not built for this.
1: (laughs) Right. Absolutely.
0: And you are uh, you can be caught on which um which what time. I live daily. I'll be on it four, five, six, and eleven Monday through Friday. Usually, uh, awesome. sometimes I don't do the four, but um, <laughs> usually and in that time. That's on W C N C. Yeah, um, but you can also follow
1: Brad. He is the uh, he is known on all social media as yeah. uh, just don't be you know
0: don't be that guy. Yeah, W X Brad is kind of my thing. I'm on everything there, and if you don't know what W X for, it's Morse code shorthand for weather. So okay. that's where that came from. And you know what? I don't think
1: I've always just known that it, that it means.
0: Yeah. So the, the story about weather, that I actually write a great yeah. blog posts about this because people, it's it's always been shorthand for weather, but it stems back from the telegraph days, mm-hmm. you know, where they would have shorthand for long words because, you, you know, you didn't want to like spell right. out every word. Mm-hmm. So WX became short for weather oh, instead gotcha. of spelling it out. And so it just kind of stuck and we mm-hmm. use it for shorthand all the time in our in our industry and in in the meteorological field. So mm-hmm. WX Brad is always short for weather and that's what we use. <laughs> gotcha. Well
1: I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this insight with us, Brad. Any I appreciate time.
0: your optimism and yeah. uh there's still time let's yeah. act on it. And remember everybody can do something. There's the little things all add up over time. Mm-hmm. So don't don't feel like it's like this insurmountable thing. Mm-hmm. It all starts with each individual person's, you know, uh, you know, efforts to try to do something. It could be as little as taking one less trip or mm-hmm. You know, changing one light bulb, you'd be surprised. That stuff adds up over time. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, Brad. And we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. Thanks. Queen City Podcast Network.com.